Would you open your Bible to John chapter 10 and verse 10? John chapter 10 and verse 10. Jesus said, I'm reading from the New King James, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. If you are confused about why the devil came, that should clear it up. Amen. And if anything happens along that line and you're wondering where it came from, if you're not sure about any calamity or problem in your life, blame the devil anyhow, because you'll be right. Okay? The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that when Satan's bound, <clears throat> and also in the Old Testament somewhere, for a thousand years, that there'll be nothing to hurt or destroy in the earth for a thousand years. And that's something. Nothing to hurt or destroy when Satan's bound. So he is responsible for a lot of stuff going on. But in spite of all that, Jesus said, I have come that you might have a life and that you might have it more abundantly. Praise God. Amen. So we're not to be concerned about the devil because Jesus has taken care of him for us. Hallelujah. Now, the title of my message this morning or for the next three times that I'll be speaking is Climbing the Ladder of Abundant Life. Climbing the Ladder of Abundant Life, which is on that page I gave you. Now, you don't have to read that now. I will go through it with you in the course of my meeting. So, you've got space to write notes. Folks, we are celebrating 21 years of ministry, which means that my wife and I have been pastoring this church for 21 years. And, uh, and that's a while. So, in 21 years, uh, I don't know how many weeks that would be, but Twice a week for 21 years, I've been preparing messages. And uh, so I have got a few that I could choose from to teach at this time. Whatever I would have thought necessary, I could have taught that. I could also go on and, and um, prepare a new message. But I look back at my own life and my heart's desire at this time, because of this mem um, memorable occasion, my heart's desire would be to teach something that had an impact on my life, something that, that I use today in my own life, something that in 30 years of being a Christian, in 21 years of being a pastor, I could leave with you in this very special time that I believe would help you. So this is not just a message I'm sharing with you. What I've tried to, sh what I've tried to capture in these next three meetings will be what I believe to be the most important foundational truths that I am using at this present time in my life to help me face the challenges that I face and I believe all of us face challenges. The only way you can stop having that, somebody came and said, Pastor, pray that I won't have any more problems. Well, fine, let's just pray that you die. Because you will have problems. Are you with me? Okay. But we have to face those and deal with them. And so I am sharing a message today, which from my heart is what I believe the most important thing that I would do in life as a believer 
of all the knowledge that I have got, I thank God for what I do have, not very much, I believe I'm going to improve and grow, but I'm going to share with you what I believe to be the very most important thing that we do to succeed in this life. Amen? To climb our ladder to the abundant life that Jesus has paid for. He said, I have come that you might have life more abundantly. And uh, the Greek word for abundantly in the Strong's is perisos. And it means, this is what Jesus came and paid for, family. This is yours right now. This is not something that you're going to get. Now, we've heard about the goodness of God from uh, Pastor Ronnie Barnard. We've heard about God blessing us from Jerry. We've heard about God being um, uh, all we are in Christ from Pastor Steve. We've heard about the anointing from Pastor Alan. We all know that God is a good God. And yet, when I look around me today... I know so many Christians that have serious problems in life and don't seem to be enjoying the abundant life that Jesus paid for. Is this true? It's ours. What is this abundant life that Jesus bought? It is, it means, according to the Greek word here, and this is what it means in the Strong's, superabundant, excessive, overflowing, surplus, over and above, more than enough, extraordinary, above the ordinary, more than sufficient. Lift your hand up and say this. Jesus has paid for me to enjoy abundant life. It's mine now. Praise God. This is not something he's going to have to get for you. It's something that we have already. Financial prosperity. Health, joy, peace, contentment. A blessed, harmonious family. Fulfillment in life. Favor with God, favor with man. Absolute success in your field of ministry and absolute success in your career. These things are all ours. However, that's true, it's ours right now. However, so many believers are walking around in darkness, confusion, uh, fear, torment, lack, sickness, strife in the home. These are very real problems that many Christians are dealing with right now. I believe we are going to see how simple it is to climb our ladder of abundant life to the abundance that Jesus has for us in every area of life. We're going to climb this ladder. Amen? God has a ladder for us to climb. Now, does God really want us to have abundant life? Let's just look at a few scriptures that we know, that we know very well, just to meditate on them again, to make sure that we have these scriptures fresh in our heart and mind, and uh, that we believe firmly that we do have abundant life, and it's for all of us. And when I say abundant life, I'm not talking about money, although... It's not possible for us to have abundant life without money. Hello. How can we have abundant life if we don't have money? And even so, money isn't all there is to abundant life. I mean, a person who's dying from cancer with $20 million in the bank is not having abundant life, right? Okay. So we talk about everything in life 
that Jesus bought for us. Romans 8, 16. The Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. All right. Lift your hand and say this. I am an heir of the abundance that God owns because I'm an heir of God and a joint heir of Christ. So we are heirs of abundance. Isn't that so? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. I like what Pastor Ronnie said yesterday. We should all say that every morning. Christ became poor that I might be rich. He took my sin that I might be righteous. Took my, he, my sickness that I might be healthy. Took my death that I might have life. And I do believe that's what we need to say every day. Because what Jesus bought for us is prosperity and abundance in every area of life. Psalm 35, 27. Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause and let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. Lift your hand up and say, God has pleasure when I prosper. Now the opposite is also true. God is disappointed in the suffering and lack of his servants. Isn't that so? Amen. All right. Deuteronomy 8, 18. Now, we should all know these scriptures. Always remember, I'm reading from the New Living, always remember that it is the Lord your God who gives you power to become rich, and he does it to fulfill the covenant. Now, folks, if God did that to fulfill the old covenant sealed with the blood of animals, then how much more wouldn't he want that now because the new covenant is sealed with the blood of God himself. Acts 20, 28 tells us that it's the blood of God that was shed to purchase our new rights and blessings. Amen? Now, God did this for many Old Testament Bible characters. Just think of a few. Abraham, we heard how rich he was last night, how he was blessed. His son Isaac was blessed. Very, very rich. The richest people on the earth at the time. Jacob was rich. And Jacob got rich uh, with his own blessing. He later came back to inherit all that Isaac left. Because he was with Uncle Laban when he came back rich. He went away with nothing. Joseph. Think how rich he was. Uh, to be promoted from a slave, a, a, a prisoner, a slave prisoner, to be the president of the nation, and he was controlling the wealth of the entire world, the richest source, resource of man, food. He was rich. Think of Job, how rich he was. Folks talk about his problems, his boils, that only happened for nine months. He was rich before and twice as rich at the end. Amen? Think how rich David was. David left. David gave an offering to his son Solomon for the building of the temple. $20 billion worth of gold and silver. $20 billion. 
That's besides the money he left for all of his kids. And he had a few. He was rich. Think how rich Solomon was. Solomon is the richest man that ever lived and ever will live. Makes bull guys look like a beggar. That's how rich he was. And there are others, folks. We can talk about how God blessed him. And uh, you don't read of the mafia being that blessed in the Bible. You don't read, read of evil people being that blessed. But God's people are that blessed. But there's something very important about each of these people. They all did what they were asked to do on a continuous basis. They were following God's direction in their lives. They were listening to God's instructions on a continuous basis daily. We'll talk about that in a little while. Now, uh, one example I mentioned with Jacob, we know how Jacob tricked his dad, Isaac, to getting the older, older brother's inheritance. And then his brother Esau uh, threatened to kill him, so he fled to Uncle Laban's house. And uh, now, Uncle Laban was not a godly man. In fact, Uncle Laban was an idol worshiper. Then when they left, uh, Rachel uh, took his, his idols, right? And he came running off them to get them. Don't run off with somebody's God. He's not going to be happy. And then, uh, and so, and he told a lot of lies. He was a liar. I mean, he made promises and never kept them. No character. This is not a man of God. Selfish. On the other hand, Jacob, who worked there, was a man of God, who followed God's leading, followed God's advice. A man who walked close with God. God gave him a dream. He said, look up, Jacob. See the spotted and speckled sheep and goats and gave him some instructions. Jacob went out, took some branches, cut them, took off some of the bark and put it by a water hole when the sheep came to drink and mate, they had spotted and speckled sheep. They became his. He owned them. Now, that doesn't cause sheep to become spotted and speckled. I mean, you can try that today. It's not going to work. But that was obedience on Jacob's part. He did what God told him to do, following God's leading. And by doing that, he was climbing the ladder of abundance. By doing what God said, he was climbing the ladder of abundance. Because that's where God will take you if you follow his direction. Amen. And uh, all Jacob's uh, wealth came from Uncle Laban. It was transferred from Laban to Jacob. All that wealth. Now, eventually, Jacob owned everything that Uncle Laban initially owned, his cattle, his sheep, the whole thing. Let's go to Genesis 31 and have a look at that. Here we see Uncle Laban's sons complaining about the money that Jacob has that initially was owned by their father. Genesis 31, verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. Now the old King James says, 
um, glory. But most translations use the word wealth here. And uh, if you look it up in the Strong's, wealth is an accurate translation of the Hebrew word here as well. Okay? And that makes sense. That fits in with the context of the subject here. Bible is talk they are talking about the wealth of Laban that's been transferred to Jacob. Okay? All his sheep, his cattle. So it's obviously talking about wealth. So that would be an accurate translation. Now, that is Strong's number 3519. Write it in your Bible right there. Strong's number 3519. And keep that in mind. Let's go to Haggai chapter 2. And we're going to see that exact same Hebrew word used in Haggai. Uh, in the old King James, it's glory. Translated as glory. But we're going to change it. And we're going to put in there wealth and see how it looks just for a moment. I want to use that as a foundation for something I want to say. All right. Haggai chapter 2, one of the minor prophets will give you major problems when you try and find him. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Climbing the ladder to abundance. Abundant life, joy, peace, victory. For this is what the Lord Almighty says. I'm reading from Haggai 2 6. Now I'm reading up the New Living. For this is what the Lord Almighty says In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth. I will shake the oceans and the dry land too. I will shake all the nations, and the treasures of all the nations will come to this temple. I will fill this place with glory says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord Almighty. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord Almighty, have spoken. Now, we know that this uh, was prophesied by Haggai around 520 B.C. And most people believe that that's referring to the Temple of Solomon, which was built about 960 B.C., and uh, which was destroyed around 580 B.C., uh, 60, 80 years before this prophecy. So it was already destroyed. Now, um, Zechariah and the prophet Haggai were the two people who really spearheaded the reconstruction of Solomon's Temple. And when this prophecy came forth from Haggai, everybody immediately assumed that this temple that they were reconstructing would have more glory than the original temple of Solomon. Now, this is the temple of Solomon built in Jerusalem. And they thought, well, this temple will have more glory than the original temple that was destroyed that they are now rebuilding. But that didn't happen because the wealth of that temple was carried away. The gold and, and all the jewels, it was carried away. It never, ever achieved even close to the glory it had before. And uh, many years later, when Herod built the temple, right on the same spot that Solomon's temple was built, once it was destroyed again, Herod's temple wasn't a patch on Solomon's temple. So it never, that prophecy, in fact, if you're looking at a physical building, has never been fulfilled yet. 
So is God's word wrong or right? It's right. Well, the thing is that they all thought it referred to Solomon's temple, but the truth of the matter is God is saying the glory of the latter temple being greater than the former, he is talking about us today. We are the temple of God. Amen. We are the temple of God. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was split, which is 20 feet high, 40 feet wide, 4 inches thick, in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the Holy. And inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, and between the cherubim, above the mercy seat, the glory of God hovered, the Holy Spirit. And when that veil was split on Passover, the glory of God departed, went to the Father. And then 50 days later on the day of Pentecost, in the upper room, he descended and went to the church. And the Bible says, know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is in you. We are the new temple. That's the worldwide body of believers. And he entered us on the day of Pentecost, nearly 2,000 years ago. Amen. Lift your hand up and say, I am the new temple. And God said, the glory of this temple will be greater than Solomon's. Okay? Now let's look at this uh, in the light of the word glory being changed to the word wealth. Now that's a good, accurate translation, and I've just showed you it's in the Bible. It was done that way. So let's look at it that way. Let's go from Haggai 2, verse 7. God said, I will shake all the nations, and the treasures of all the nations will come to this temple. I will fill this place with wealth, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord Almighty. Now, doesn't that kind of flow? Verse 9, the future wealth of this temple will be greater than its past wealth, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I'll bring peace, how the Lord Almighty has spoken. Now, if that is an accurate translation, then God is saying that the wealth of the last day temple, the body of Christ, will be far greater than the former wealth spent to build the temple of Solomon. As wealthy as that was, and, and it stood out, I mean, it was the most wealthy building ever built in history and never will be compared with any building ever built. I think the value would be 28,000 billion rand. I'll say it again. 28,000, that's 28, with three noughts, in front of billion. One billion would be good enough. 28,000 billion is 28 billion, 28 trillion. 28 trillion for one building. Now, Bill Gates is trying to become a trillionaire, is that right? But Solomon just built a building for 28 trillion. Besides all the rest he had. Hello. Now, uh, so why would God spend so much money? Is this a good question? Why would God spend so much money for a place of worship 
that seats less people in this building. It was a small building. The reason is God wanted glory. Amen. And this is a place where they could come to worship God. This is a place that brought him, brought him glory and honor. And God didn't mind what it cost to do it. Now, folks, today we are in exactly the same position. Uh, we are busy constructing the, the substance. That Temple of Solomon was just a shadow. And it was constructed for the purpose of bringing God glory. And today, the temple of God, the substance, that was the shadow of the truth. We are the truth. And the truth is being constructed now for that purpose of what? Bringing God glory. And you know what? Not everybody that's part of the temple is involved in constructing the temple. Let me say that this way. Those who are helping train Christians, those who are helping win souls, those who are helping uh, care for and love other Christians, these are the ones that are helping to construct the temple. Those who are listening to God's guidance, the great architect and engineer of this temple, and taking his orders daily to do his business, these are the ones who are, who are constructing the temple. And these are the ones that need the equipment and the tools and the resources. The ones who are not involved in the building program, they do not need the resources. They are spectators. Hello. Lift your hand up and say, I'm involved in construction. Taking my orders from the chief architect and the chief engineer. That would be the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What would he be now? Foreman? <laughs> well, he's involved. I'm not sure we'll have to find that. I don't know too much about construction where we can find an important position for him. Okay. Now, <clears throat> so wealth is coming to those who are involved in construction. Not everybody needs it. And not everybody is listening to the, 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 the program as it comes out. Lift your hand up and say this. Climbing a ladder that leads to abundant life cannot be done without listening and obeying. Listening and obeying. Those who are led by the Holy Spirit daily, those who obey the Word of God and live to please God daily, these are the ones that will find themselves climbing up the ladder that leads to abundance like Jacob did, like Abraham did. God said to Abraham, leave this country and go somewhere else. And he said, fine, and off he went. Now, if he'd stayed there, would he have been prosperous? No. If you look at the lives of each of these people who were blessed, they were doing what God guided them to do. Lift your hand up and say, I have to be led by the Spirit of God. And when He guides me, He'll lead me to prosperity. Does God have a plan for you? Absolutely. Do you know what it is? 
How do you know absolutely for sure what it is? Well, you're going to find it very difficult to prosper unless you do. That's exactly what I'm talking about. What we just saw right now. See, the majority of the body of Christ do not have an idea of what God has for them to do. And yet God has a plan for you. You're not an accident. God knew about you before he made the earth. He knew your name before he said, light be. Even if you are illegitimate, he knew you were coming. And he gave you a plan, he gave you a purpose. Like Mark Murdoch, like Mike Murdoch says, light solves a problem, so you have a light. Amen? Because there's a problem, you invent light to solve a problem. And whatever there is in life, it's created to solve a problem. And uh, God has given you a problem to solve. God has given you something to, to do that no one else can do. You've been equipped and designed for that particular job. No one else can do it. Amen. And uh, in doing that work, you'll find fulfillment, prosperity, and abundance. Now, it might not be some great big thing but to you, but to God it is. It doesn't matter if it's big or small. If you do it, and God told you to do it, then it's important. There's too, much, too many of us trying to do what, what we think God wants us to do, and we're messing up. I had a staff member some years ago. Uh, I employed him to do a certain job, and he never did what I asked him to do. He never did anything remotely like I asked him to do. And so I, I called him and explained it to him, gave him a job description, explain what he needs to do, and let him go. And, uh, and he never did it. And this carried on and on and on, and I had a number of meetings with him, and it didn't help. He, he, he did stuff. He worked hard. Let me tell you, he worked very hard. He was diligently working hard, but not doing anything we needed done. We didn't need any of that stuff done that he was doing. So really and truly, what we needed doing wasn't being done and the whole lot of other stuff that's being done, we didn't need it done, and we were paying for him to do stuff that we didn't need to do. It took a while. We got him around to see, and now he's doing what he should be doing. But it took like about two, three years. It's called patience. And you know, family, we do that with God. And then we wonder why we're not prospering. All right, does God have a plan for you? Go to Jeremiah 29. I'm going to read this from the NRV. If we'll take God's plan step by step daily toward uh, in doing what he wants us to do, we'll move up the ladder of abundant life. That was paid for by Jesus. Jeremiah 29, 11 from the NRV, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Now, notice it says, God said, I know the plans I have for you. Now, he didn't say, I know the plan you have for you. He didn't say, I know the plan you have for you, plan to prosper you, a plan to give you hope in the future. He didn't say that. 
And so many of us are running off like chickens with our heads cut off. And hey, man, I've been guilty of that. So if it took me 21 years to learn, thank God I'm learning. Hallelujah. I'm very happy that I am starting to learn. You stumble up on a few things in 30 years of being a Christian. Hallelujah. Now, he says, I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. Lift your hand up and say, God's plan for my life will bring me prosperity. It will. Now, if it doesn't, just tear that page out your Bible. It'd be like the kid who came to church one Sunday morning and uh, he had the two covers of the Bible. The pastor said to him, where's the rest of the Bible? He said, well, no, pastor said, every time you said that uh, this wasn't for us today, I tore that out. And this is all I got left. I just got the maps left. And I guess they'll be going today. <laughs> so, Lift your hand up and say, the Bible's for me. All of it. Hallelujah. For I know the plans I have for you. Hallelujah. Now, Isaiah 48. Let's go there. God's plan is guaranteed to bring us to abundance. Our plan, there's no guarantee of abundance. Amen? Say that again. God's plan is guaranteed to lead me to abundance because Jesus paid for it. But my plan has no guarantee of abundance. And you know, some of us are like that dog. I have a dog. Not I have a dog, but every time I come out my gate, there's a dog down the road that it chases its tail. I mean, it doesn't even know. I mean, a dog that doesn't see a, bar, a, a, a moving car, you must know. That dog is focused. And, <laughs> and this dog, I'm telling you now, he is desperate to catch his tail. I've never seen a dog with more determination. But in all the years we've been staying there, which is like about four years, he has never succeeded. But he has expended much energy, time, and diligent thought, I should imagine, at achieving his goal. And there's no guarantee that it's going to produce abundance. He hasn't even called one car. <laughs> and that's what we do sometimes, folks. Isaiah 48, 17. I'm reading this from the New King James. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer. All right, what's he redeemed us from? He's brought us from poverty, shame, sickness, death, loneliness, inferiority, pain, uh, lack, Sin, unrighteousness. He is the one that redeemed us. Okay, now he says, I am your Redeemer, okay? The Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit. Now, I want to ask a question. How can your teacher ever teach you if you don't listen to what the teacher says and do your homework? And write your test. Hello. He teaches us to profit. And we expect the blessings of God that are paid for in the hours, but we just expect them to happen without listening to God 
who will lead us into what is our legal rightful inheritance. And then he says, I teach you to profit. And then he says, who leads you, if that's not enough, because some of us need a little more than, you know, who teaches you to profit. We need it explained again. So he says, who leads you by the way you should go. Now lift your hand up and say, when I go God's way daily, I will end up profiting, being in abundant life in every area of life. Is that in the Bible, folks? Amen. Now, you know, having money is not all there is to abundance. We want, to, we want fulfillment in our family. We want, to be, we, want to, we want to have peace of God in our heart. We want to have success in our ministries and our careers. In every area of life. In our personal character. In our own thought life. We want success. In our own thought life. Isn't that so? And we want a stable mind, don't we? We want to have, um, we want to have success in, uh, in, um, in our own image of ourselves. And like Steve Berry said yesterday, it's not the image of you as who you are in yourself, but the image of Christ in you. Galatians 2.20. It's not I that live, but Christ lives in me. Lift your hand up and say this. Christ is alive in me. He thinks through me. He speaks through me. He lives through me. When people talk to me, they talk to Jesus in me. They see Jesus in me. It's Christ's wisdom in me. Christ's ability in me. Christ's power in me. Christ's love in me. Christ's nature in me. Love, joy, peace. Gentleness, kindness. Self-control. It's Christ who is alive in me. This is all part of the abundant life that I will enjoy if I'll be led by the Spirit of God. He will guide me into all things. Say this. Jesus said, I will send you the Comforter and He will guide you into all truth. All truth. Amen. Jesus said, uh, it's important for you that I go away because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. And it's important for you that I go. And they couldn't understand that. The truth of the matter is, folks, that the Holy Spirit is to you. Now, all that Jesus was to those 12 disciples. Say that with me. Jesus guided the disciples, instructed them, taught them, trained them, loved them, comforted them. And the Holy Spirit is all of that to me. And, you know, unfortunately, family, the church of Jesus is running around, doing everything they have to do, rushing, rushing from pillar to post, day after day, and not giving the Holy Spirit another little thought, never mind being sensitive to His leading. Confessing prosperity day and night, but not listening to the teacher of prosperity and let him tell you what to do to get it. I'm not just talking about money here, although you can't have it without money. That's not for prosperity. All right. 
Jesus said in Matthew 6.31, let's go to Matthew. Jesus said in Matthew 6.31 from the New Living Bible. He said, uh, So don't worry about having enough food or drink or clothing. Why be like the pagans who are so deeply concerned about these things? Your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine this? That the exact problem you have, that you've been having for five years, ten years, and the suffering that you've been enduring for the last ten years, that God has been fully aware of your problem, your circumstance, your, 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 your challenges, and, and God hasn't done anything to solve them for you, but He's known about it. That seems a little cruel. There's nothing God doesn't know. He knows what you're going to think tomorrow. Hello? He knows that now. All right, listen to this. Why be like the pagans who are so deeply concerned about these things? Your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs, and He will give you all you need. Now, when's that going to happen? There's a little word if there from day to day. There's a little word if there. It's a small little word. It's the smallest word in the whole sentence, but it has, it has, it's the pivotal point on the whole thing. It says, if you will live for him and make, your king, and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Now, folks, what does it mean to live for God? Does it mean just to believe in him? I don't think so. To live for Jesus or live for the Father would mean Father, I'm here at your disposal. What would you have me do for you today? If that's not what living for God is, then what is? If it's not saying, okay, Father, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what you want me to do today. What would you like me to do? If living for Jesus doesn't mean before making a decision, going to God and say, which one? If it doesn't mean that, then what does it mean? I am fully persuaded but living for God would be to take His instructions on a daily basis and before making decisions, go to the Lord to guide us and make God-guided decisions of faith on a daily basis. And I really believe, family, we have to get a lot more in tune with the Holy Spirit than we are. And if we'll do this, we'll be doing what He wants us to do, not what we think we should be doing. But He has a plan for your life right now. And if we'll just be listening to him daily, we'll start doing that. The difference between a man who talks about Jesus, that's a Christian who talks about God, and a man who daily follows the decisions the Holy Spirit leads him to do, the difference is that the one man can come in and say, I'm a Christian, let me tell you about Jesus. The other man can come in and say, I'm sent of God. I'm a man sent of God. And I want to be a man sent of God. Of God. And that only happens by doing daily what He says to do. We cannot get up and say, I'm a man sent of God with conviction if we're not daily doing what He says to do. And I'm not saying we're going to get this perfectly right, hit the nail on the head every time. But I would rather be caught trying than ignoring this whole thing. If you live for Jesus, 
This means we do what God wants us to do each day. If you do, then every need's provided for. Hallelujah. Lift your hand up and say this. God takes care of His employees. Those who are working for Jesus, God takes care of. Those who are working for themselves, their own plan, there's no guarantee what's going to happen with that. John 10, verse 10, the Amplified, Jesus said, I came that they might live, but have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full uh, till it overflows. To the full till it overflows. Till it overflows. My Lord, have mercy. How of you can say, I have got abundant life that's just overflowing. I, I just can't cope with any more of this. <laughs> I, I just can't cope with another blessing. God, spare me, don't do it, Lord. Well, we have to understand that's what God wants for us. I know a few people are getting there after hearing what Jerry said last night. I was very blessed to hear that, weren't you? But I believe that Jerry also has a little more room for a little more blessing. Is that right, brother? Got more room. Hasn't closed the hatch yet. And it's coming in. More is coming. Okay. Yes, God has a plan. It's called, write it down, the plan is called the ladder to abundance. And only God's plan is our complete fulfillment. Every ladder has a pole. Now you can go to your uh, printed page. Every ladder has a pole on the left and a pole on the right, and between the two poles are the steps we climb. Okay? Now, I have called the left-hand pole by name. I've called it the Word of God. The left-hand pole of the ladder represents the Word of God, and we can look at how to use the Word of God, how to work with the Word of God. And the right-hand pole is called uh, the Holy Spirit. Okay? And we are going to learn how to work with him. And the steps we climb are simple. If you look at the bottom of the left-hand side of the page, it says the steps of the ladder represent the God-guided decisions of faith. We take every God-guided decision we take in faith will enable us to enjoy more and more of the abundant life that Jesus bought for us. Hallelujah. The higher you get up that ladder, the more of the abundant life of God you will be enjoying. Amen. Now, the source of our ability, the source of our strength to climb this ladder is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Without the Word of God, without the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't have a left and a right pole holding our steps together. And uh, 
And so many Christians are trying to climb this ladder of life without the Word of God and without the Holy Spirit. And what good would a ladder be with just steps in midair with no poles holding it together? It would fall down. You climb up and fall down. And that's what happens to so many of us Christians. We climb up the ladder and fall down. Climb up and fall down because no Word and no Holy Spirit involved in our decision-making. Imagine somebody came to me and said, Pastor Theo, uh, we're visiting. We've come to be here for, uh, to enjoy with you 21 years of ministry. Now, we have to fly back. And uh, would you be so kind as to tell me how to get to the airport? So I said, certainly, brother. I'll tell you. And I tell him, these are the directions you take to get to the airport. Now, he says, well, how long do you think it's going to take me to get there? I said, well, probably 10 minutes. You should see the airport in about 10 minutes. So he says, so, fine, thank you. And he gets his car and off he goes. Now, let's say five hours have gone by and he's driving on the freeway at 120 kilometers an hour. I hope it dawns on him that he just might have missed the turn off. Now, what's the problem here? He's got the car. He's got the petrol in the tank. He's driving the car fine. I mean, everything's working except he's not getting there. Hello. Just one ingredient missing. The direction. And that's what we're dealing with life. And so you know what happens? Many folks come to a seminar like this and they get fired up and they try harder. Well, okay. Praise God. I'm just going to believe God more. I'm just going to try harder. I'm just going to be in church every Sunday. And these things are all right. It's like him doing the right thing. He's driving down the road. He's obeying the, 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 the laws of the nation. He's doing the right thing. All the things we do are right. And so what he decides, well, okay, we haven't got there. Five have gone by. If we don't hurry, we're going to miss this flight. So he says, well, I'm just going to floor it now. And he puts his foot flat down. He goes up to 180 kilometers an hour. Why? Because he's desperate now. He's got to find the airport. So he just keeps doing what he's doing, harder than ever. Is he going to get there? No. Lift your hand up and say this. It doesn't matter how hard I run. If I don't know where the goalpost is, it doesn't help. Hallelujah. Now, let's find out how to work the Word of God in a few minutes that I have left. 1 Peter 1, verse 23 is a, a well-known scripture. From the NIV it says, For you have been born again not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. So the Word of God is living and enduring and imperishable. That means it will always work. A seed that's perishable will sometimes not work, but God's seed will always work, okay? It will always produce. It cannot fail. Now, let's go to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And while you're looking for Mark chapter 4, we have to understand this, that everything God does includes seed. In what God does, seed is involved. Now, seed is not everything that God does, 
but everything God does includes seed. Amen? If you look around you, you may have noticed that birds produce birds through seed. Hallelujah. How have you noticed that? So you, some of you didn't know that. Okay. See how much we learn in church. Animals produce animals by seed. Plants produce fruit comes also seed. Humans come through seed. Amen. Even Jesus. Jesus said, I believe it's John chapter 12. Jesus said, uh, the, the, living, the living translation is really nice. Jesus said, um, unless a seed dies and falls into the ground, it abides alone. He's talking about himself having to die. And, uh, and then that it may produce much fruit. Now, folks, God himself wanted an eternal family. And so what he did was he sowed his only member of the family, the Lord Jesus, and Jesus said he was a seed. God sowed Jesus his only seed and reaped a great harvest, a worldwide family. Lift your hand up and say this. The seed always produces after its own kind. Therefore, I am an exact duplication of Jesus. Hallelujah. Now you might not think so, but John said, as he is, so are you now in this world. Amen. That's our legal right. That's our inheritance. But we have to climb this ladder to enjoy it. Praise God. And we're not only talking about material gain here. Climbing this ladder will bring spiritual gain. Amen. All right. Now, so everything God does, family, he does through seed. That's part of his program. Mark 4.14. Jesus said in the NIV, the farmer sows the word. The farmer sows the word. Who's the farmer here today? Right now, I have to be the farmer. I'm sowing the word. Okay? The seed. The word and the seed are the same thing. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown in rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unprofitable. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60 or even a hundred times what was sown. Now, say this with me. In light of verse 20, say this with me. The seed of God's Word is incorruptible and will always produce all the time. But here we see it didn't. It only produced, in some cases, in most, there's four categories of soil here, and the fourth category is produced. Three it didn't. And the fourth one where it did produce was 30, 60, and 100 fold return. So we have a lot of failures. It seems like the seed's failing. It's not. The reason it's failing is the soil. And Jesus tells us here that the soil is the heart of man. They hear the word and the seed goes into the heart. Now, then Jesus said in verse 24, consider carefully what you hear. 
it contains what to measure you and what we measure to you and even more. What is Jesus telling us? The bottom line is he's saying, listen with a hungry heart in order to obey what you hear. Say that. Listen with a hungry heart in order to do what I hear. For he went on verse 25 and he says, whoever has will be given more. That means if you have the seed, you'll have a harvest. And then he said, whoever doesn't have will lose what he has. So Satan will come and take the word and the seed and then try to steal everything else you've got. And we're not to let him do that, family. Now, the easiest way to destroy a farmer is just to steal his seed. If he's going to steal his seed every season, he's going to be bankrupt pretty soon. And that's what the devil's trying to do with us, trying to steal our seed. We have to have the left pole of the Word of God working. Mark 4, 26, this goes in. Jesus said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. Though it does not know how, he doesn't know how the seed grows. Verse 28. All by itself, the soil produces the grain. Now let's stop and think about that. We're talking about the seed working. But Jesus said, all by itself, the soil produces the grain. There's a lot of teaching about the Word and not too much teaching about the heart that's to receive the Word. Because the condition of our harvest and the percentage production of our harvest is not dependent on the seed but on the heart because we know the seed will always work. Jesus had just described how the kingdom of God works. He said seed, time, and harvest. Sometimes we expect the harvest too soon. God told Noah in Genesis 8.26, seed, time, and harvest. And if you'll see this, God said first the stalk, then the head, and then the full kernel. And uh, we have to allow the seed time in the heart to be able to produce the fruit of the seed. And that's the time it takes to produce the harvest, family. And it's all dependent on the heart to incubate that seed over that time to produce the full harvest. Okay? Faith is not always instant. And for everything we need in life, God has already provided a seed for us. There's no shortage of seeds. Hallelujah. Now, in the seed are possibilities beyond the mind to comprehend. What's that mean? Just look at the person next to you. Look at the person next to you. Now, you see that person, a living being. A person next to you, a living being. A person who can work, who can think, who can socialize, who can create. And a few years ago, that person was in a seed so small you can hardly see it with a naked eye. That's the capability 
of a corruptible seed. Now think of Grandpa and all of his children and their children all in one seed. That all came out of one seed. Now let's go to Adam's loins and see what happened, the seed that went from Adam to Eve. And let's just look at how much we look around you at the buildings, the airplanes, the cars, the population plant that covers the whole earth, and all that it's achieved all goes all the way back into the loins of Abraham, into Adam, and there it is in the seed, in the loins of Abraham, of, of Adam. Look you up and say, corruptible seed has a lot in it. That tiny seed of in, in, in Adam's loins had all of us in it. All of us in it. I mean, you look at that seed and you think, my God, what can he put in here is just beyond the mind to understand. Isn't that so? Now lift your hand up and say this. God's seed, 1 Peter 1, 23, incorruptible seed, is far more powerful than that. Is that true? It's not corruptible. Can't fail. What does that mean? By his stripes you were healed as a seed. There's enough life in by his stripes you were healed to keep every man, woman, and child on this planet in perfect divine health until Jesus comes. And we can banish sickness from this planet with the life force in by his stripes you were healed. That's all in there. It's all in that one seed. And it, there's a lot in the Word of God in those seeds that we haven't even begun to imagine. And you know what? We're fooling around with the soil here. We're not giving the seed a chance. We're not good farmers today. We talk about improving our farming ability here. Proverbs 4.20 my first closing. Proverbs 4.20. Let's go there. Let's find out how to plant the seed of God. We talk more about preparing the heart for this than worry about the seed because that will take care of itself. Proverbs 4.20, New King James. It says, My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart for their life for those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Now let's look at these four instructions that God gives us. Number one, there must be focused mental attention. There must be focused mental attention. What? God said in Proverbs 4.20 right here, My son, give attention to my word. Number two, listen closely to God's word. Why? Proverbs 4.20, incline your ear to my sayings. This is all part of planting the seed. Step three, there must be continuous looking at the word of God with the eyes. Why? Proverbs 4.21, we just read it. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Step number four, the heart family, and this is where I want to focus, must be hungry for the word of God. It must be hungry. The seed of God, God's word must be planted in the human heart 
And Jesus told us the same thing in Matthew 13, verse 18. Jesus said, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. The only way normal seed can germinate is by abiding in the ground. And the only way God's seed can germinate is by abiding in the heart. And when the farmer puts seed in the ground, he doesn't dig it up and look at it every day. Don't worry about it. The farmer doesn't sit there gnashing his teeth and stressed out worrying about that seed. He puts that seed in the ground. He looks across the field. He says, that takes care of that. I'm just going to watch the harvest come. He has faith in that seed. If you happen to say, if a farmer can have faith in natural seed, why can't I have the same faith in God's seed? Proverbs 4.25, Keep your heart with all diligence, God said. For out of it spring forth, forth the issues of life. The NIV says, Above all else, guard your heart. Look at that in the NIV. Next line down. Let's put that up on the screen. There it is. Above all else, the NIV says, guard your heart. Hello. It's important to watch the seed. Put the seed in the heart. But let's take care of the heart. What's the heart? The soil. Because out of it come forth the issues of life. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 35, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. The seed in your heart is the good treasure. The only reason Mark 4 failed the only reason why people didn't receive is the soil. Now, if we look at our problems all the time, folks, we are looking the opposite direction to the Word. We can let that come in and plant weeds in our heart. If you look, you see, you're looking at death. If you look at your problems all the time, you're looking at the road that leads to death. If you, look at, if you look at the Word all the time, you're looking at the thing that takes you up the ladder of abundant life to whatever you're looking at. If you... Uh, if you're going to watch worldly movies all the time, if you open yourself up to this worldly stuff all the time and not selective in what you look at and give attention to, you're going to be planting weeds in your heart. And it'll choke out the Word. That's what Jesus is saying in Mark 4. And too many Christians come home and that's all they do, put their feet up and watch TV all the time. Watch all this junk. Now, I'm not saying don't ever watch a movie, but hey, let's be reasonable. Personally, I haven't watched a movie since November. And I don't think I'm ever going to watch another one in my life. And I, I actually feel much better for it. Now, I'm not, going to, I'm not telling you to do that, but I have a need to hear from God. And so I'm closing out anything that's going to affect my garden. Now, if you, plant, if you go home today and dig a carrot garden at home, what are you going to do? Plant seed? Put a fence around it. You're not going to have people just walk through your garden with carrot seed in there. You protect it. We have enough intelligence, folks, to protect our natural garden, but here is the garden that produces all the success of our life. This incorruptible seed that can produce beyond what the mind can imagine just needs a chance to grow in a garden that's protected from everybody walking through it. 
We give our attention to everything else except where we should be. And all that garbage is going in there. You walk up to your garden and have a look. You can't even see what the difference is between a carrot and a weed. In fact, it would be nice to find a carrot here and there. But we're confessing, praise God, for abundance, and we're looking at loving all day. What is it called? Days of our life. Thank you. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> now. All right. Lift your hand up and say this. I'm going to close with this. Say this. Hearing the word of God is planting the seed. Speaking the word of God is germinating the seed. Hearing the word of God is planting the seed. Speaking the word of God germinates the seed. Praising God for his word, for the word that you are using to trust God with. See, if you're going to praise God for healing, praise him for the word. Don't say, God, I thank you for healing. Say, I thank you for Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Surely Jesus bore away my sickness and carried away my pains. And with his stripes I'm healed. Thank you for that word. Thank you. I praise you for the seed. Hallelujah. All right, now lift your hand and say this. Praising God for the seed waters the seed and brings accelerated growth. Accelerated growth. Say it again. Speaking, uh, hearing the word, plants the word in my heart, and speaking the word germinates the seed, and praising God for the word waters, rains to bring accelerated growth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now say this I have got my left pole of my ladder in place and tomorrow I'm going to pick up my right pole the Holy Spirit put it in place and then on Wednesday I'll put in my steps and I'll start climbing to abundant life hallelujah hallelujah thank you Jesus now family uh, if you don't have one of these